Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast, Humanity First. My name is Peter Evers from Bamsey, and today <clears throat> we have a series of wonderful guests, and I'm just thinking, I think a, one of you have been on the show before, Kathy, uh, but, and Tracy as well, yes. Uh, so uh, some, uh, some folks with a little bit of experience and, uh, and uh, somebody new to this process. So today we're going to be talking about one of our programs that is um, incredibly innovative, and uh, is an example of how BAMSI works with other uh, disciplines in the community, which is something that BAMSI has done, especially uh, on the behavioral health and community services side for a long time, and something that we're quite known for. And um, so uh, I'll do the introductions. Um, first of all, we have Tracy Rosen, who is the director of our home base team. Hi, Tracy. Welcome Hello. back. Uh, and Wallace Brown, who is a clinician over there at the home base team. Hi, Wallace. Hello. And Kathy Anderson, who is our VP on uh, Child and Family on the Behavioral Health and Community Services side. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Peter. Glad to be here. Good. Um, so <clears throat> the program we're talking about um, sort of came up a couple of weeks ago, actually, when we were having a conversation about um, COVID and, and the work that's really sort of paused uh, and and the impact that that's having on kids especially. And it was, it was a broader conversation that I was having, and we all know, uh, especially... You guys, um, we're beginning to see the long effects of COVID now. We talk about long, long COVID in terms of medical uh, conditions, but really the behavioral health condition, conditions, I think, are beginning to show themselves in our communities, especially our communities of color, especially in our uh, socioeconomically um, vulnerable uh, communities. And um, one of the programs that we have that sort of exists quietly uh, is our Read to Succeed program. And there's a long history of this, uh, as I said, with collaboration. But maybe we could start by talking a little bit about the program. And I'm wondering who I should pick on to start. Maybe, Kathy, if you start with us, and we can sort of sort of work off each other here. Oh, thank you, Peter. Um, yeah, the Read to Succeed program has been in existence for almost 10 years. And it started actually with a, a conversation between the juvenile, the juvenile probation office in Brockton, as well as Judge Corbett at the time. Um, and more recently, Judge White has been involved. But they came to Bamsey with this concern that a lot of the juveniles that were coming before the court seemed unable to um, read or understand their charges. Um, in some cases, couldn't even sign off on documents and really saw there was a need there. And uh, so they, they approached BMZ to see if we could help support youth in some way that maybe they could divert them from, you know, the juvenile justice system. And so this program began um, because BMZ doesn't say no when we're approached. We, <laughs> we find ways to get to yes, um, even though we may not always know how we're going to get there. Um, but actually, in this situation, the home-based team program was the perfect place to house this because we already were doing all kinds of work in the community. Um, with youth through therapeutic mentoring, and we were also um, at that time involved with the Shannon Grant, so really trying to help youth who were getting involved. And we were also doing a lot of family work through our in-home therapy team. So it felt like a good fit. Um, we also, at the time, were running the Metro South Academy School, so we had teachers available to us. And so what we did was we paired up a clinician with a teacher and the probation officers would join us at the courthouse once a week, and we did a 12-week pilot, and it's just from there almost um, 
once or twice a year for the last, I think, eight years, we've been offering this Read to Succeed program. Usually we have um, between four and six um, young men between the ages of uh, – I think 14 and 17. And um, when they graduate, we actually have a little ceremony in the courthouse. Um, the judge is there and speaks. Um, we have one of the, the youth speak and, and read a little bit of something they had a chance to write during the program. And so th- there's more that happening there than just learning to read and to understand um, what they're reading. But there's some real uh, sense of self-worth. We have families come to the graduations and they'll say it's the first time they've seen um, their child succeed in something, you know, and that certificate um, for accomplishment is just so meaningful to the whole family. It's really wonderful. Just extraordinary. And again, people coming together and working together and seeing a need in the community um, is is so important. But um, Tracy, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, how and I was wondering about this when, when I first heard of it. How do you get into this? But what qualifies you as a, uh, a young man uh, to get into this program? Um, and who refers those people? So uh, for the Read to Succeed program, it's um, all referred through the juvenile justice system. So each of our youth um, have um, charges pending against them, and their probation officer makes a referral directly to us and any youth that are referred from a probation officer we accept into the program um so in order to be you know a read to succeed participant they have to have um pending charges at the brockton area court system and do we um i mean uh is it a prerequisite of the program that people are having difficulty in reading or is is that really just the portal to a much bigger thing um, originally, I believe that the, the prerequisite that they had to have, you know, trouble reading or writing, um, which was the whole reason for, you know, Read to Succeed coming to fruition. Um, but since then, it appears that it's more of a diversion, you know, from having them serve some other sort of community service. If they have pending charges, they will, you know, likely refer them to Read to Succeed to help them, you know, work on other skills you know, not just reading, but maybe um, debating, you know, um, having a conversation, you know, that isn't um, boisterous, <laughs> you know, learning to better um, assert themselves. Yeah, that's um, – Wallace, that I, I want to bring in you here because um, I'm imagining that – um, <clears throat> many of these young people are striving to find role, role models, to find people who who are positive influences on their lives. Um, and you know, as as we work with these uh, with these youth, um, how how do we know? How do we know this has, has worked? And 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 what's the, I, I just tell that story about how I'm, I'm imagining. And, and tell me if I'm wrong. Imagining it, you'll get these young folks come in, and they're. I always think of the Breakfast Club at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That you know they're all not really wanting to engage, and then over a period of twelve weeks or however it is, you're building those uh, relationship blocks that actually makes the sum of the parts greater. Good question, Peter. And your. Um right on course with the fact of the breakfast club. <laughs> it's that sort of setting you have. You have to imagine now, you have these inner city youth. First of all, they're being charged with some criminal crime that doesn't make them feel well or feel proud mm-hmm. of themselves. So coming to the Read to Succeed program when their probation officer refers them, 
at least gives them an opportunity to do something different in the community. But not only going out doing something in the community, they also is benefiting themselves. So if they felt that their reading level or skill level wasn't up to par, as Cassie, excuse me, Kathy mentioned, then coming to Read to See would help them um, build their literacy and get an understanding. But also in the midst of that, um, relationships are formed um, with myself as a clinician as well as the teacher that's teaching the course along together. We can tend to build that communicative relationship with them, and they're able to focus more on the task at hand of building their reading skills. I mean, we'll go through all of the materials, but we also discuss life skills. Yeah. Um, you know, you're at this point, you had this bump in the road, here's an opportunity to turn it around, do something better f- for yourself and, and feel good about it, even though you're in the court system. Yeah. And that's not a long period of time if you do what's needed. Right. And they tend to gravitate to that. They tend to appreciate the fact that BAMSI is helping out in a way that when they truly re-enter free of any charges, they're able to try to look for a successful job or finish high school, and then they feel successful. So it's all about building their attitude and mindset to being successful. You know, a few years ago, I was involved in a um, uh, jail program where, I mean, you know, it is absolutely true that the majority of people who end up in jail are presenting with a mental health um, issue or substance use issue. Um, And you know, like Dawn's, we really need to get services into the jails to provide for those people so that when they come out, um, you know, and that um, that stepping out initiative is called, which is a federal initiative, has, has really uh, gained some traction. When I was involved with it, there was a real culture clash between law enforcement, the courts, and the social workers and one of the funniest moments when we was when we when we went into the jail and we all sat there as social workers and they all sat there as you know um, officers um, and looked at each other like we didn't speak the same language um, they didn't understand why we were so interested in the well-being of these folks because they were so um, engaged in in keeping law and order if you like do you find that when you – maybe I'll start with you, Kathy. Do you find uh, that there is a culture clash that is improved when the probation office and the courts are involved in this process? Absolutely, Peter. Um, it's really heartening to see how the relationships have grown between the probation officers and even the judge throughout the process of READ to succeed. Um, you know, when we talk to probation officers initially, especially when a referral is being made, sometimes, you know, you do hear that jargon. You hear that negativity around, you know, this is somebody who's committed a crime. This is, you know, a kid who's got a lot of issues and concerns and that they're not so sure this is going to be successful. And they're kind of wondering if this will even you know, this kid will follow through and that kind of thing. But then when you, you get to sort of the end of the journey and all of the probation officers come to the graduation ceremony, even though they don't have to, and the judge is there and speaks and then the chief of probation or the assistant chief speaks and it, you can just see how impressed they are with watching the growth because they understand how hard it is for these kids given the environment they grew up in. Some of the, you know, Obviously, they haven't been going to school or they're not doing well in school. They've had a lot of challenges in their lives. And so, um, you know, I I can just tell they're really impressed 
um, with these youth and their willingness and commitment. And so it's just a really nice thing to see. And, and I have to say that I think this model um, does so much for, you know, breaking down some of those barriers and allowing those probation officers to even really feel like part of that. They're on the, the, the youth's team, so to speak. I would imagine that those folks who have had this sort of idea of sort of little tolerance for those who break the law are also they're melting a little bit as well in terms of seeing that these are just kids who haven't necessarily had all of the advantages that many other people in society have had do you um tracy do you find that as um uh, as you begin to work with them that 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 you're more of a team of people that are interested in the welfare of the of the of the kid rather than a bunch of professionals who look at each other rather um uh, <laughs> not very trustworthy across the room Absolutely, Peter. You know, it's interesting, like, we've had so many youth come through the program. And, you know, over the years, I feel like the partnership has, you know, really blossomed into something, you know, positive, like, um, we're all kind of working together to support each of the youth and where they're at. Um, And, you know, if there's a youth that's, you know, really struggling with the process, and they're, they're not, um, you know, coming to sessions, you know, the probation officer is taking more of a supportive stance um, than a disciplinary stance. You know, I, I found that, you know, if, if there's a youth that isn't coming, these probation officers are looking more to the why instead of, oh, you know, they're, they're a bad kid, they're not coming because, you know, they don't want to change. Um, and I, and I find that during the session, they're just so much more supportive and trying to help, you know, make it a productive conversation and they're joining in the conversations and they're helping the youth to explain themselves better. Um, and it's just overall, I find so such a great collaborative, you know, work with the probation department. Yeah. You know, one of the things nowadays, and I, I think I've been around an awful long time in this business, but, um, you know, we used to be able to tell the stories and then, you know, people would be interested in when, and we'd bring in money. And nowadays, it's really about telling the story, but also the data, the numbers, uh, and how successful are these interventions. And, you know, telling the story of success is really about that. So, Wallace, I'll begin with you. Can you let us know some of the stories, some of the some of the things you hear? Because I, I suppose I think, going back to Breakfast Club, I, I oftentimes think that people come in and they've got this sort of Damocles hanging over their heads, which is if you don't come here, you know, the, you're, you're, you're headed towards some sort of custodial sentence or whatever that might be. And then gradually the pull is not just about the avoidance of, it's more about the I'm getting. Uh, is that true? That is so true, Peter. Um, these young individuals are in a situation that seems bad for them until we show them a little bit of light and a little bit of hope that they themselves can turn it around. And as we continue to engage with them um, weekly and giving them this time and lending them the ear that understanding adults outside of the juvenile system is rooting for them to be successful. I remember a young man um, was part of the program. He had a minor situation going on with the courts, but he needed to do probation. He didn't want to do community services, but he had all his gifts and talents. He wanted to go into auto mechanic and be successful at doing that. And he turned out to be a little closed in at first, but then he opened up 
and he was able to um, therapeutically work with him and help him to understand where he can take start from this point and move forward. So in him moving forward, he was able to focus more on what Read to Succeed was doing for him, helping him to build up his reading skills so he can go out and fill out those applications and be able to do the things to get an auto mechanic job. And and he was very successful at that. He was one of the individuals that wind up being, you know, the keynote speaker at the graduation and got the other young man on men on pages of understanding how successful it is. So he came every day, he showed up every day, every session. We had a great conversation, and he felt successful. So as mentioned, the probation officers, the judges, the court system, I mean, at first they're reluctant because this is a place that gave me some time. I walked in this building. I feel the sense of negativity and what they're going to do, do to me if I don't mm-hmm. do this. And once they realized it was in the confound of the conference room and getting comfortable with the teacher and I, and they were able to say, okay, we're establishing a relationship with these individuals, and they're not trying to punish us. They want us to be successful. So once I think young people understand that you're in support of them and giving them the space and the atmosphere to grow, he was more receptive and began to be successful. And his goals and dreams seems that more obtainable than not. And to know that, okay, I can trust my probation officer because they allow this program to be here. Mm-hmm. And it needs to continue, and there's a lot of aspects of it need to be expanded. We as uh, a service agency, BAMSI, and myself as a clinician at home, that allows them to open the door to maybe reaching out for more clinical work to be done with not only just the individual, but also with the families to help resolve any disconnect with the youth and parents and so forth and let them know that that's there and we inform the parents as well. So the work can continue outside of their probation period if choose to be. You just answered my next question, <laughs> which was, you know, all, all good clinical work with kids begins with the idea of the family and oftentimes that the individual who is in trouble is the messenger and who's going out and who's saying, our family needs help. So, um, you took that one right off the off my lips, but um, but Kathy, maybe I can um, ask you. You know that we've been we've been doing this for a while now, and this is one of those things where you know it's successful if you don't necessarily hear from them the, the kid in that context again. Um, how do we how do we show how do we how do we report back that we've been successful? For the most part, it's anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Um, because, as I mentioned when we started talking, this program is unfunded and, you know, it's basically people adding on to their regular work in order to make this happen, which is wonderful. But one of the things that, that we've been looking for is somebody who would fund us so that we can, in fact, um, develop some kind of, a, you know, an outcomes-based measure where we can maybe do some follow-up with these youth and their families um, and we can kind of measure, you know, the six month after, the year after, where are these youth, how are they doing, and did they in fact avoid further criminal involvement, which is what we hope. Um, but we don't actually have that that data. Um, but one of the things that, you know, this, the, the anecdotal stories go a long way in telling telling the story, right? And and one of the things that, that I love about this program and that I've been able to observe is that the the way it was designed was really really intentional and thoughtful in that the the week to week 
curriculum ties into writing prompts and the clinician and the teacher have developed it in such a way that it allows for the um, young person to um, reflect on it and explore some of what uh, brought them to the court in the first place and maybe what what are some of their hopes for the future and kind of giving them some opportunity to think that through, reflect on it, and express it. And when we had a keynote speaker um, most recently, he talked about being able to identify that there was a very traumatic event that occurred in his life when he was younger. And he realized upon reflecting on it that that was probably what led him to using substances and getting involved with dealing drugs and then um, was able to look ahead to, but I don't want this to continue to be what my future is. I want something better for myself. And so when you hear that, to me, it's planting seeds and you don't always know what the, the long-term gains are going to be, but you you hope and you, you think that, that this is better than what they had before and, and you're giving them a chance and you really, you know, I feel and I think that this is definitely diverting some youth from future criminal involvement. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, <clears throat> do you know that old expression, never underestimate the positive connection that you make with a human being, um, especially with kids. You know, I think about um, Steve Pemberton's uh, recent book, A Chance in the World. This is a kid who went through in Fall River, actually, who went through a um, foster care system where he was horribly abused and he was identified by a neighbor because he was locked outside the house and the neighbor would bring him books every day. He ended up graduating from BC and now he's the head of diversity at, uh, at Walgreens uh, in, in Chicago. An amazing story. And those stories replicate themselves in these tiny little places and, and all over all over the, the world, actually. And um, it must feel really good to be part of that, to be part of that seed that you're, that you're planting. And I did have another – I have another um, – a colleague who's in Oregon, um, and she called me last week, and she said, oh, do you remember this person when I used to work for DCYF? And I said, no, <laughs> because it was, oh, I don't know, 30 years ago. And, uh, and she goes, oh, well, she, she got in touch with me, and now she's in her mid-40s, and she's she has three kids, and she's um, actually she's a, um, a, an M&A um, I think I've got that right. Mixed martial arts um, fighter, and she's and I, I looked her up, and she's very, very successful. But Melanie said to me, you know, she called her and said, you know, that time you actually came and looked for me when I ran away and brought me back was the turning point. But I didn't realize it was the turning point then. But that changed my life around. And that kind of work, that kind of interaction that you have every day with with kids is are the building blocks of a successful society. And in my opinion, and you're at the very cold face of it in terms of where the disadvantages and uh, and the situations that human beings come across um, result in them ending up with, with problems. And we always say that, you know, we don't go through the lifespan without experiencing some dysregulation, whether that be an interaction with the legal service um, profession or, uh, or or what we do. Um, so I'm really proud to be associated with with an organization that has invested um, <laughs> a lot in that without a funding stream, which is a bamsy thing. But um, but we can see that the good that that's doing, and I'm proud to be associated with the work that you guys have done. Um, and so you know, let's talk about how we get proper funding, and let's talk about the worth of this, so that we can measure and go into the future and, and expand this program. I want to thank you all for coming in. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much.